Hello there and welcome to the Irish Film London podcast. My name is Neve Brannigan and I'm joined here with the head of Irish Film London, Jerry Maguire. How are you, Jerry? Hey, Neve. Yeah, not bad. How's your last fortnight been? It's been good. It's been good. And we were just kind of briefly chatting as well about the amount of Irish films that are in cinemas at the moment, which is amazing. It's just like it, it's an Irish takeover in British cinemas or well, in Irish cinemas as well, obviously. They're just out everywhere and it's great to see it, isn't it? Exactly. It's so great. And one of which um, we wanted to mention was is going to be in the BFI Film Festival. Yes. So the big news, I suppose, this week or in the last week or so is the release of the BFI London Film Festival programme. That's been announced and launched and there's loads of really amazing, exciting films in that programme, as you would expect. I mean, it is actually a very strong year for the festival overall, but notable among that programme is a new documentary from Pat Collins called The Dance. Um, Now, we know about The Dance at Irish Film London um, because we've been chatting to people about it for a little while but it's just a really extraordinary looking documentary um about a choreographer michael keegan dolan and um, he's one he's renowned as one of the most exciting choreographers working in in dance and theater in the world really um at the moment and pat collins who you might remember from a song of granite um his previous work he joined Michael Keegan Dolan in the rehearsal and improvisation period for a theatre piece that he created called Mam, M-A Fada M. Um, Mam ended up screening at Sadler's Wells and I think at the Dublin Theatre Festival. And there's a reference to the New Zealand Festival of um of Theatre Arts, and uh, if I've got the name of that right in there as well. Um, so it's something that happened in 2019 and 2020, but this documentary catalogues the the improvisation process that Michael Keegan Dolan used to put it together. So if you're a, if you're a dance fan, like a contemporary dance fan or a theatre fan, this might be very, very appealing to you. Um, I have seen it and it's it's a really, 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 really unique film. Um, it's really difficult to describe it, but I mean, I don't want to say that it's just like a lot of people dancing about on screen for 90 minutes. Um, in a sense, it is. But it's like it's. I think as well though, because one of that's not my, the power of it. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> you're really selling it there, Jerry. Um, <laughs> one one of my favorite things about um getting a job in uh the theater, like like getting an acting job for stage, is the prep, like the preparation of it. You know, the building yeah. of the world and the, you know, the the creating of the characters and stuff like that. So to actually kind of document that and then for us to kind of be a fly in the wall. For that, I think is going to be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do, you, do you know what's what I think is really unique about this particular process, as well as the, the choreography? The way that Mom came together was um, there's this virtuoso concertina player called Cormac Begley, and he's kind of the the center point of the of the performance aspect of it, of the of the musical performance aspect, and then um, the dance troupe I think is called Stargaze. And what they do is are kind of responding to the cues in the music in this very natural, organic way that's like, you know, there's no, there's very deliberately no process of like, we're going to create things based on what one person, what the choreographer says, we're just going to explore our Mm. movements and 
and everything it's a very free process and it's actually like i found it was a very freeing thing to watch actually yeah quite collaborative i'd say completely i think that mm. the essence of it is collaboration yeah and how things come together when when you take away structures and when you take away like um i suppose rigidity the rigidity of like a process that you're used to mm. yeah, yeah absolutely that's very so exciting. interesting film yeah, I really can't wait to see that now. And also um, herself has just launched in cinemas this week as well. And oh. if anyone hasn't, um, definitely go and check out. We have a podcast with uh, leading lady Claire Dunn and also Phyllis yeah. Lloyd as well, which is such a great chat. Yeah. And what a great one of movie. our earliest podcasts. That one, mm, I think. And such a such a stunning, stunning movie. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to do fantastically well. So really yeah. excited for more people to go and see that. Yeah. Do you know, there's a lot of, as you would expect, there's a lot of like Q&As and sort of like in-person stuff that's happened around that. There was a particularly good session that Bird's Eye View did at one of the Picture House cinemas earlier this week. And if you can find that Q&A online I, I, and you're a fan of herself or Claire Dunn or Phyllis Lloyd's work, I'd urge you to go and, and find that and hunt it out. It's really worth listening to. Definitely. And Rose Plays Julie is also coming into cinemas for people who haven't seen it before yeah. on, the, on the festival circuit. Yeah, we had Rose Plays Julie in our St. Patrick's Film Festival online earlier in 2021. Great to see it being released at long last. Um, it's getting great reviews, same as it did when it played festivals many moons ago and also this week the trailer dropped for deadly cuts which looks like so uh, much fun uh, what what's the i haven't seen the trailer yet i've seen it so i've seen the film but i've not seen the trailer so tell me so, what's, the, what's the trailer like well well i'm the opposite so perfect i haven't seen the film right. yet so the trailer <laughs> it's just like straight off the bat it just has you laughing and it's the kind of film or trailer that you look at and you go to yourself, I'd say they had grey crack on that set. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I watched the I watched Deadly Cuts at Dublin Film Festival earlier this year, where most people would have saw it before now. Um, and it is absolutely from start to finish, just like how's you going? How's you how's you laughing? Amazing. Four girls in that sort of like, you know, that that group comedy setting where they're all slightly different characters and mm. uses uses the tropes really well but yeah. adds you know and everyone's like a little bit of a stereotype but only enough to be like you know i actually found it really nice that it's got a great structure as a film it's got like good character progression there's mm. like enough of a build it ties up all its loose ends and doesn't leave anything left out and I was chatting to one of the girls um, who who's in it, Lauren Larkin, yesterday, and she said a lot of the, to be honest, a lot of the laughs that you've seen are just genuine laughs. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's kind of, there actually wasn't a lot of action going on in some of those scenes because they just found the whole thing so much crack to do. Mm -hmm. And okay. also, I have, I went to the cinema this week um, for a bit of a popcorn movie fill. I went to see the new Marvel film, Shang-Chi, which was everything you could ask for in a Marvel film, which is great fun. Um, but before we came on to chat, you were chatting to me about um, a Jim Sheridan documentary. Okay, right. Yeah. So I haven't been to the cinema. Um, I've been, I've been sat at home watching, well, from watching films because I'm programming for the Irish Film Festival London at the moment. Exciting. Um, so we're shortlisting submissions that people have sent in um, via Film Freeway for that. That's kept me busy. I've also been watching lots of Netflix and um, 
I'm listening to podcasts and one of so one podcast I listen to every week when it comes out is the Blind Boy podcast, like whatever millions of people that do that anyway. Um, and his guest last week was Jim Sheridan. And Tim and Jim, Blind Boy and Jim Sheridan were talking about the Sophie Duplantier case down in West Cork. And they started off their conversation talking about that Netflix series that we mentioned a few weeks ago. And then Blind Boy says, and you made a film as well, Jim, about the same case that came out at the same time. And I, I, I think I was walking to the shop with my headphones in and I had to stop. Mm. I was like, what? And he says, yeah, it's called Murder at the Cottage. And I've looked it up. It's, it, he did make a film called Murder at the Cottage. Um, he was, he's not lying to us. Um, <laughs> so that one that we talked about came out on Netflix and Jim Sheridan's film came out on Sky at the same time. Oh, mad. And, yeah. And I don't know why they came out at the same time, but they're about the same case. And I think they approached the case from like two slightly different angles. Right. You know, like there's that there's that podcast that's about the same the same events. There's just like a lot of kind of popular media about it at the minute. But very interesting that they're both out the same time. I wonder is someone getting fired? <laughs> <laughs> well, but I just wonder because of the podcast. There's like a famous podcast that's about it as well. I just wonder if there's like an engineered kind of release. Yeah. Next time we're chatting, you have to you have to. This is your homework now. You have to go and watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell yeah. us what it's like. Yeah. Do you know you were saying the Deadly Cuts trailer came out? Mm. Do you know the other trailer that came out this week was for the new Matrix film? Oh, that's that's all I've been watching all week on Netflix. Anytime I've anytime I've ripped myself away from like watching things for work, which is still still a pleasurable experience. I've mm-hmm. been like, oh, I just need something that's in another world, and you can't get another worldly more 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 <laughs> otherworldly than the Matrix, right? When you asked me there, do you know what other, what other trailer came out? I was like, oh my God, I haven't done my job. I don't know the answer, but I was never going to get that answer. I'm so not a Matrix gal. I was never going to get that answer. No, I loved it. It was all about the Matrix. And I watched, so I watched the first one, uh, the first Matrix film last week. And you know what got me going was the soundtrack. It's like Rob Zombie followed by orbital or chemical brothers or something like that and it's just like oh i feel young again it is quite nice kind of revisiting <laughs> films like that that like you know kind of classics like that and finding new stuff in them for sure yeah yeah now it's going to be your your spotify yeah most most played that's the, it the yeah. backtr- a, a soundtrack <laughs> it's gonna wreck my algorithm now yeah well along with people now will probably also go back and visit the matrix that you've um popped it into their heads but while you're doing that uh you should also go and check out our september shorts that we have for you guys on uh, irish film from home there's some really really gorgeous shorts on there and while you're there you should consider becoming a member because you'll get loads of free perks you'll get loads of ins and scoop on what's going on and you'll also be supporting us, which I mean, yeah, who wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't want to support us? Sure, look at us. Exactly. People should pay for this. <laughs> <laughs> Irish Film London members get extra get extra benefits that just come along sometimes that we don't like. We can announce, we can advertise what we can offer people, but this year we've been able to like people get in touch sometimes, and we're like, would you like? some free tickets to a thing because we've got some hospitality tickets to give away 
and it'd be nice to see you down there. And we always email them back and we go, we'd love to come to your thing. But what we'd really love to do is give those freebie tickets out to our members. Yeah, so people exactly. have been to see like open air cinema screenings. Some people went to um, watch World Cup matches in Trafalgar Square earlier this year. Um, there's and it's thing. only going to get better now with everything. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. Up there's, again. So, there's so much stuff going on. Yeah. Mm. So there's lots and lots and lots of reasons other than the free cinema tickets and the discounts year round and uh, the kudos of being a member <laughs> there's lots of reasons to be an IFL member have we plugged this enough now I think so I think right, so okay. <laughs> well go and check out the website check out our shorts and uh, consider becoming a member and I hope everyone enjoys this podcast today we are chatting to Kathy Brady chatting about the feature film Wildfire and I hope you all enjoy and I will chat to you soon Jerry. chat to you soon Niamh Bye. Kathy Brady, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me today, especially during such a busy press schedule. So I really appreciate it because Wildfire is now out in cinemas and it's finally getting its much anticipated release. And I'm really looking forward to more people seeing it because it's such a stunning piece of work. But first off, I'd love to start off on a little high by congratulating you for your IFTA award for best director. So thank you. Receiving your an award like that for your first feature. Yeah, that, that was a totally bonkers kind of experience because it was virtual. And um, <clears throat> so it was just like, uh, were you wearing shoes? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> I really wasn't. Um, and uh, yeah, so I kind of was like, right, what will I do? Well, I'll get a dress and sure, I'll, I'll get my hair and makeup done. But sure, I'm just going to stay in the house. And I was actually staying with my parents because I was just about to move to England. So it was just it was like back in my childhood house and back in their kitchen. And then, you know, a few friends came around and, you know, they were off in the corners, you know, and I was like, Shh, OK. And then we were up for a couple of awards that night. So I kind of was starting to get an inkling of how, you know, when you get the award. <laughs> they would come in and they would just ask you a question or could you just kind to to ten there and um so it had happened a few times it's like oh okay so we haven't you know we haven't got this one and so I had really kind of settled into going fantastic I you know it's great to do this great to be nominated but like that was it you know no one came in to ask me to count anything so I was like okay so then you know Colin Farrell does his thing and I honestly was gobsmacked it's like what the hell <laughs> Well, I think it's very, very well deserved because you not only wrote Wildfire, but you obviously directed it as well. So chat to me kind of about the inspiration behind it, because uh, I was reading up on the Erksons' twins. Mm, mm. Yeah, like what was the right for it? We started with casting first, like, so that's what's very unusual about this film. It wasn't we had an idea first. It was actually I had just worked with Nika and Orgian separately. And bloody loved the bones of them and loved their range, you know. And I felt like I already had such a shorthand with them. I was like, oh, my God, I'd love to work with them again. But I also had this sense that they had this both an ability to be courageously vulnerable. And yet they're really fierce women and really kind of physical and demanding in terms of their presence. And I was like, what would happen if you put that combo together? And so we did that and we had... We had um we had a conversation and and we were like okay what ideas are you into what characters are you into and and we didn't quite know what we wanted to make but we were like right our goalpost is fierce women fierce women and like women that we hadn't really seen complicated women 
And I had said to them, you know, this was a few weeks, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And I think we had a Facebook page and we were adding pictures and music and all different sorts of things. And I said, have you seen this documentary footage? And I seen it like 10 years prior. And I remember the moment I seen it, like I think I was studying at IDT at the time. And I was, I remember exactly how I seen it, but I remember being really shook when I first seen it. I showed it to the girls and they had the same response. And in the footage, you see these two sisters walking along the middle of the M6 and they they walk into oncoming traffic and survive. And one of them gets up after being hit by a car. She runs to the other side of the motorway. She screams to her sister, they're not real. They're not real. They'll steal your organs. And it was just so complicated and, and, and almost existential watching it. But equally, you were like, what would make two sisters behave in that way and be so linked in their thoughts? And, you know, then we started research psychosis, shared psychosis. And, and that really was, you know, that was the starting point. And then I was like, I feel like the story needs to be come home to borderland Northern Ireland, where I'm from. And that's where it really started to take root because we realized that, you know, in that community, there is so much trauma and, and there is a shadow of the troubles. And, and not that I wanted to make a political film, but this is kind of what happens. Sometimes the more you drill into the personal, like you realize that, OK, if trauma, um, if psychosis can come from a repressed trauma, well, then that trauma can somehow sometimes be in the past and it's been repressed. So we needed to know everything about their family dynamic in the past. And then you start looking at, okay, socially what was happening, you know, politically what was happening. And of course we couldn't escape the troubles then, but I never wanted it to feel like in your face at the front of the film. But like, I think growing up on the border, it's always around you anyway, you know, the murals, the flags, and you do take that for granted after a while. And in many ways, I didn't realize my own experience of living in the North until I went to study in Dublin or in London. And you share your stories of what it was like being a kid during the Troubles. And they're like, what? That's insane. Yeah. How? You know? And so it really, wildfire allowed me to, to look at all those things and to ask questions and, and even get talking to my parents. And I heard stories I'd never heard before that had happened, you know? So it was, it was really... Um, it was a really interesting um, personal journey for, for many reasons, making wildfire. It's such an interesting process of having, I mean, I don't know if I've ever heard of, of, of anything like that, of having your two actors first and then kind of, so it was obviously clearly like a, a real collaborative process, which is such a dream for kind of any creator, uh, actor or director as well. Um, and then as you just touched on there, like the fact that it is, um, set in Northern Ireland, I think really complements both characters and especially Nika's character, Kelly, really nicely in the sense of just kind of feeling law of like a feeling of loss, because I can only imagine a, a generation in, in Northern Ireland that struggles with their identity and that kind of ripple effect of the, the history of their country, much like the females in this film struggling with the ripple effect of their past traumas within themselves and their families. So was that quite important to you and to the girls to kind of give more of a voice um, to, to people like that? Yeah, and I get, it was always this kind of back and forth approach as we were, you know, figuring out character traits and, and backstory. We would go and look and sort of, and, and, and sort of feel out the authenticity of that. So like um, intergenerational trauma, trauma, there were so many case studies done on that specifically in Northern Ireland because there's a lot of European funding money and there's some really amazing um, case studies where you know you had people talking um and about you know maybe they had lost a, a parent 
during you know when they were when they were very young too young to even maybe remember that part but somehow their whole language and life has been shaped around explosive dialogue or so it's like oh my god it's changed how they communicate like and it just really made me realize that some sometimes it's very subconscious and and so there's maybe stuff within my own way of talking about the north that's very much in my subconscious and I, I don't fully know how to articulate it so I don't think I had an agenda is what I'm trying to say but I, I think I was always trying to eke out the the feelings and and try to understand and and come to terms with something which all sounds very abstract but I think in a way you know when you're dealing with a story that deals with psychosis it can't be too prim and proper because that's what we find when we spoke to two sisters who had a short psychosis like in the subconscious works in a really strange way you know and you don't know why a particular um hallucination is happening for you a delusion you know and, and when you look back it can be very complicated and muddy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just ch chatting about the two sisters, so obviously Nora Jane and, and Nika McGuigan, and, and it wouldn't be right for me to not recognise Nika McGuigan's uh, presence being missed here today and, and mm -hmm. every day, unfortunately. But um, I've just, I was just so excited today to just dive in and chat about this very special film because that's what it is. I think it's a really special piece of work. So as you said, you've worked with Nora Jane and Nika before you worked with Nora Jane on your IADT um, short, Small Change, and then also with Nika on Can't Cope, Won't Cope. So do you quite like having a kind of a pool of actors that you already have a shorthand with that you can, you know, you nearly skip that process of, the whole <laughs> kind of getting to know and getting comfortable and whatever, and you can just kind of dive straight into to projects like that? I think so. Like, I think with Nora Jane, it actually, I had done my master's with her as well, so they, wildfires are a trilogy you wow. know the trilogy on yuri it's done um but uh it's just this gut thing like it's it's this gut thing and sometimes i've worked with actors and i'm like yeah um maybe i will work with you again maybe i won't but with nika and orgy it was very always very different like it was something like we jokingly kind of used to say like we've we read this in the star or stars or before you know because it was just our, our bond was very tight the three of us and um, and I, I think in, in like Nika and Nora Jane's bond was very, very interesting because two actors don't normally get to kind of play siblings and have five years to work that out, you know? And in many ways, they feel like sisters because they, they behave like sisters, you know? They were able to argue with each other. They were able to complement each other, to support each other. It was very real, you know, and I think sometimes when actors turn up and they have to play lovers or siblings, they've literally just met yeah. and they put on a show of the idea of what it is to be a sibling, the idea of what it's to be a lover, but to to live in it and to be in so many workshops and, and constantly challenge, that was really exciting. And I, what I really enjoyed working with them is they actually worked in very different ways. Nika was incredibly physical. You know, she came from body first, mm. you know, she wanted to to physicalize it and not overanalyze it. You know, uh, Nora Jane, we, we would like to kind of process, we like to research, we like to talk about it. And then she would bring it into the body, you know, and in a way that became very interesting in workshops, because how do you how do you make a space that works for both actors? And sometimes it didn't work for one or the other. And that became complicated. And, you know, there was tension would come from that. But equally, 
magic would come from that as well. And um, so I, I think I'm drawn to actors who are, who, who are interested in going on a process. And, it, and, and I think workshopping uh, with actors is very different than rehearsal. You know, I'm not with rehearsal, like I am mining what they are giving for story, for character. And so therefore they have to 100% commit to a choice, to a truth. And if they only like half bake an idea or half commit to a choice, in a way it leads to a false beat for story. Mm. Whereas if I was, you know, if I was, you know, doing TV and I was just rehearsing something, I wouldn't be asked, I wouldn't be demanding an actor to give me everything because I don't need it. We're not shooting it. So I don't, I don't think every actor is a workshop actor because it's very demanding. And being a writer director, it's actually very demanding as well because you have to witness that. And as you know, there's some amazing moments we had in workshops, but they weren't right for this film. So then how do you hold what's actually right for the film? And then how do you let go of the stuff that's that's not right? And you know, we took many turns with wildfire, you know. So it 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 definitely, and this is at workshop stage because it's settled much more when it came to script, because then you you then you commit to choices. Um, but what's interesting is there's nothing in the film that's improvised. It's all scripted, but it has an energy as though people go, it's improvised. I'm like, it's not. I'll show you the script. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, but it's because it worked so long. It was so in the body. That's um, because it really just, but it feels not even that it's, it, it feels improvised, but it feels just so fresh and like mm-hmm. in the moment and raw. And that's exactly what all of that workshop work then that was that was the outcome and like and as I said as we were saying about it being a collaborative process sometimes well not for every creator but sometimes that can just be such a dream to kind of you know be involved in the growth of it and being open to things changing and you know not holding on to ideas or and I I remember at the early stages I find it really overwhelming like you know it wasn't a dream either (laughs) it was a challenge because you know I had sort of I had got funding based on on the cast and and had we got funding to get a researcher and you know we were hearing all these real stories and you know building up this pool of fact and I and and I was witnessing what was happening in the workshops and and yet I had all this material and I had to go away and write the first draft of the script and I shot myself mm. I think I cried I was like oh my god I think I don't know how am I meant to bring this all together this is so hard so overwhelming so overwhelming um <clears throat> But, you know, I honestly felt every stage of the script got easier and easier because we were refining constantly what it was. But the first, I think the first thing was the hardest. And I don't know if it's because I don't like writing, <laughs> but, uh, but I found that a real challenge. But then it was really exciting and, you know, having a draft and then that became this skeleton to then really refine from. And you direct uh, a lot of stuff that you write. Do you kind of write with the idea of directing or does it just kind of come to fruition that, well, I know it best and, and you know, I know the material the best and maybe I'd be the best person for the job? <coughs> I only write out of necessity. I, I don't I don't love, love writing. Mm. Um, I love working with actors. I love collaboration. Um, I get moments where I enjoy writing, but like the majority of it, I find it, grueling <laughs> you know but you do it you do it because you you want to work with those characters you want to work and you want to fill on that scene that you eventually managed to get right um so 
I mean, I, because, you know, I have friends that are writers. I'm like, oh, yeah, I just don't have that thing that they have. Mm. Um, but, you, you know, yeah, so I, I couldn't imagine writing something that I would hand over to someone else to direct because I don't think like I think like I'm writing this to direct it, you know? Yeah, and you're creating your own work as well. You're, you know, you're not just sitting around kind of waiting for the phone to ring, although I'm sure it's going to be off the hook now. <laughs> But one, I w- wanted to really ask and chat about the the bar scene because, as I said, it felt so kind of raw and in the moment. And and I was going to ask, you know, did you just kind of how did you prep the girls and you, did you just kind of point the camera and shoot and see what they came up with? But obviously, as you said, it was everything was just workshopped and blocked. It was workshopped. It was it was shot listed. Um, you know, because we had a we had you know we had a six and a half week shoot which probably sounds like a lot but in this film there were so many major set pieces you know if we weren't shutting down a motorway we were setting the field on fire if we weren't doing that we were trying to shoot underwater scenes with kids or we were trying to shoot with a wolf or you know it was just endless the stuff that we that you know like the the ambition of what we wanted to achieve so um we didn't have room for for like oh let's just will it let's just you know see what happens and you know I was working with Christelle Fonnier who's an amazing DP and you know and and she was very thorough and very prepped and you know she knew everywhere where the light was going to be we story we we shot list every single scene of the film and we storyboard some of our major sequences so for example with um with the bar scene you know the the if you're talking about the, the interaction between the two men like Nika and Norgian would have only met um, uh, David Pierce and uh, Peter Balance on that day. Like they might have met them before, uh, you know, on a, on their set. But in terms of our set, like we had no rehearsal with them. We were just like we had their dancing to shoot that morning, and we yeah. had the confrontation the afternoon. So I don't know how many hours, uh, how many minutes of footage that is, but that's quite significant. <clears throat> but we we had only one day to shoot it, and that was constantly this film like. We had to shoot a lot and we hadn't a lot of time. But Nika and Nora Jean were so physically in their roles at that stage that like we had such shorthand that I wasn't really giving notes. I, I don't feel like there was major. There might have been other scenes where it was actually much more delicate in the notes. But a lot of it, like we had established such a shorthand that I wasn't micromanaging. In fact, I hate micromanaging. I was just sort of giving it over to the actors and you know making sure we had the coverage yeah exactly if I think the with the dance scene as well in the bar it's quite kind of tribal-esque uh, and, and at times you know throughout the film with there being such a strong kind of theme of family which is also your tribe you know and being protective of that and uh, I think that really for me that's one of the scenes that really stuck with me throughout the film but that that scene's interesting because that was <coughs> based on their first um workshop because I didn't have script at that stage so all I had was their physicality and how how could I start beginning to talk about energy dynamics so I used music so it was a case of we rented out a hall and one of the first songs I played was Patti Smith's Horses the Land of a Thousand Dances and I played it full blast and I was like you need to match the energy of the song Nika as I said fully physical very athletic my god she threw herself straight into it and Nora Jean was like whoa this is their first day she's like okay all right 
Carmen. And then so she matches her energy and it became very interesting. They were kind of constantly kind of up in the energy, up in the, the rawness, the physicality of it. And, you know, eventually they, they stopped competing and they just allowed each other to be present with each other. Mm-hmm. And that's where we witnessed this is what this film is about. Exactly. And what what is remarkable is like, you know, because we had a we had a researcher and we were filming it, you know, I had I knew it in the moment that I was witnessing something powerful. You know, the, the, the that first week of workshops, I was like, we still don't have script, but holy shit, we have we have something, you know. And um, so I went away and I looked at the footage and, you know, I think I will release the footage at some stage. But like, you know, we went away, we looked at the footage and like that's, that has to be within the film somewhere. Mm-hmm. And when it came to writing the script, of course, it went in and I, I figured out where it should go in. Um, and then when it came to filming it, <clears throat> we looked back on the footage and we worked with Junk Ensemble, uh, identical wow. twin uh, choreographers, and we realized a lot of what they had done instinctually was right. Wow. So we didn't need to do that much. We tweaked some elements for, for camera, but a lot of what they give up on the very first meeting, the very first day is what we use in the film. Wow. And I think what's interesting about that as a scene is we don't get to see women dance like that. No. especially especially not in cinema maybe in real life maybe when you've had a few drinks and you know every, all the ambitions let loose Please, but, yeah. you know what's what's so fascinating about this scene is they're dancing for themselves not for the male gaze not for any attention they don't give a shit in fact you know what i mean and it's funny <clears throat> this guy had said um the dance feels very incestuous i just like again we have to bring it back to sex we have to bring it back to how about you know, it's this fear of the primal woman. Mm. Therefore, it has to be like, sexualized. You know. I, yeah, I, I mean, I agree that the, there's kind of a primal thing, but but that's what. But I automatically went towards more of just a tribal thing and a like a sisterly thing and a, a blood, you know, like blood thicker than water thing, as opposed to. I know. I know. It's different. But but I do I do think it's a it's um, maybe it's a lack of language, a lack of maybe representation that you know we'll just we'll box it into it's an incestuous dance Mm. you know because you know what references have we got of women dancing agreed and I think as well one thing that about the film that makes it so refreshing and important to me is that the two women especially Kelly I guess in a way are so unapologetically raw and like in completely different ways, like Lauren is, you know, trying to keep it all together with what seems to, you know, be like a quite a solid life with her family and her home and her job to then this hurricane of Kelly coming back into her life and someone, you know, she thought she'd never see again along then with Kelly, you know, trying to figure out where she is and where she's going and and who she is and there's just nothing manicured or filtered and I just think that's so brave and beautiful and I think you know you don't necessarily have to go have gone through anything like this to relate it's so relatable in 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 Mm -hmm. itself um obviously speaking from a female point of view in completely different ways yeah I really appreciated seeing seeing yeah and I think it's just it's been like oh my god like in Ireland we've had such a history of repressing women you know and I think we're coming out the other side but come out the other side you know it is that just let the shackles go and you know these characters I and I, it's you know Kelly very much so but she lives very free and wild in fact she's probably free falling because of that she doesn't have the stability you know that Lauren has but Lauren's stability is so 
um, suffocating because she's got the semi dehydrated. She's, you know, she's got the husband. What's next? Of course, she has to have children. Why doesn't she have children? That's going to be the next question for her. Um, and, and Kelly doesn't think of these things, you know. So Kelly coming back and so wild and free really startles Lorna to awaken to a different sense of herself. And I think, it, you know, it really scares Sean, her husband, because he loves her. Clearly, he loves her, but he loves her on certain terms, I think. Yeah, and, a, and maybe a, a, a version of her as mm-hmm. well, which um, which is, and it's, so, it's such a great supporting cast as well. I mean, the the, the two girls are, are held up by, no one drops the ball, you know, everyone is so is so strong um, underneath them. And I, w- I, I was interested to, to ask if, if we had Nora Jane on, like, you know, what was it like maybe stepping in and out of 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 roles like Lauren and Kelly because obviously there there's there's a lot going on and you know what did they find it difficult maybe stepping in and out because it's quite a heavy film you know so kind of well let me I can give you maybe a bit of context um (coughs) yes the shoot was incredibly demanding but um you know and Nika was incredibly prepared but she was so prepared that like you know she brought a, a Vitamix you know a blender so she could, yeah, make smoothies and soups, but so she could make frozen margaritas at the weekend, you know. So we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun making it. And um, in fact, what we would do in the in the in the cask in the cask bus on the way back to the hotel on a Friday, we'd have some beers in the back, and we would like have a karaoke session. Oh. We used to drive Nika bananas because she was like, oh, she hated karaoke. She hated it. <laughs> But like she got into it and we would all be singing at the top of our lungs. And uh, so I have so many fond memories of, you know, just the sheer fun that we had making it. And I know that probably seems a contradiction to like, oh, my God, but it's such a heavy film. How could you have fun? But like there was such an energy those two girls brought, like, you know, the dancing, the dancing was electric, you know, to watch that for them to be in. It must have been like, you know, because these characters were living every inch of their lives do you know what I mean very very vibrantly and a lot of a lot of us sometimes just coast through days coast through weeks and coast through months and just doing the same thing again and again and these characters are like they end up facing their darkest fears they they have that pure connection and that intimacy which with each other which you know, only only some people could dream of you know that you could know someone so well they'd be able to finish your sentence Mm, exactly and so obviously like all the work that you guys had done the years before you know mm-hmm. and that trust and that that uh, relationship that you all had let you then let the girls then as well step in and out of of these characters feeling so safe and, and supported and, and everything so it definitely comes across and I, th- I think what Norgian says is, is she find <clears throat> with um with Lauren because she has to hold so much she has to repress so much of her feelings um that that she still has to feel it and bury it and she found that when she started to have her release as a character like the dancing that that she found that cathartic and that freeing um unfortunately I I like I I don't know what Nika's experience was of it like you know we did have some um behind the scenes cam and they shot some interviews and stuff like that so we have some moments of her but like you know, I, I really miss that. I can't have those conversations. I don't know what her her little catchphrases are, what, you know. Yeah. But what I do know is that she was very proud of what she'd done. And she knew herself that she had given it everything. And, and you know, that's that's really special. 
Absolutely. She's left behind such an amazing legacy of work. And uh, I'd say such a privilege to to have been a part of that as well. Um, and I think a great tribute to Nika would be for as many people as possible to go and see her performance in this because it really is very special. And what I would say is go see it on a big screen. See, look into their eyes and just see like how really magnificent it is the connection the chemistry because you don't quite get that on a laptop you really don't or a tv screen um yeah so definitely go and see it in the big screen and and and, and celebrate celebrate nika and, and just she was a one-off agreed celebrate nika and celebrate going back to the cinema i mean we can now so why wouldn't we um but congratulations to you kathy and also send my congratulations on to nora jane as well and yeah here at irish film london we wish you all the best with wildfire's journey and uh, your own individual successes as well so thank you so much for squeezing me in today and hopefully we will see you very soon at irish film london all the best thank you so much thanks kathy And that's it from us here today at Irish Film London. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And thank you again to Cathy for coming on to chat to me. Don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. If you are listening to us on YouTube, do comment below. Let us know what you thought. And if myself and Jerry haven't plugged it enough at the beginning, do go onto our website, check out our September shorts and consider becoming a member. A final thank you to the two of our sponsors, the Irish Emigrant Support Programme and Culture Ireland, who've been brilliant supporters of ours for years, Garmila Mahagut. The Irish Film London podcast is produced by me, Neve Brannigan. We're edited by Owenville Cliff and our music is by Kevin McLeod. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you again soon. Mm-hmm.